What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's Feud, Capote versus the Swans. The second installment in Ryan Murphy's Feud anthology tells the story of acclaimed writer Truman Capote, once a confidant to society's most elite women, whom he nicknamed the Swans. Starring Naomi Watts, Diane Lane, Chloe Sevigny, Calista Flockhart, Demi Moore, Molly Ringwald, and Tom Hollander. For your Emmy consideration, visit fxnetworks.com FYC. This episode is brought to you by Hulu. Riley Keough and Lily Gladstone star in Hulu's limited series Under the Bridge, a chilling true crime story based on the acclaimed novel. Hailed as a riveting and heartbreakingly realistic work by the Chicago Sun-Times and featuring excellent performances, according to Time magazine, the series is for your Emmy consideration in all categories, including outstanding limited series and outstanding supporting actress in a limited series for Keough and Gladstone. For more information, visit fyc.hulu.com. All right, it is Friday, July 15th. If you look at the headlines in the streaming wars, so to speak, and you see Netflix, chances are it's a negative headline, negative story these days. Every time you look, it's Netflix plateauing. It could lose subscribers this quarter. The whole Wall Street craze of valuing Netflix at way over what it should be valued, that's over. Everybody thinks that Netflix is in trouble. And yet when you look at the financials of Netflix, it's one of the few companies that has actually figured out a way to make money in streaming video. It has 221 million subscribers around the world, far more than any other service. At the same time, you look at a company like Hulu, which is one of my favorite streaming services. They've got great shows. I've been watching Only Murders in the Building. I've been watching the FX shows like The Bear and The Old Man. Hulu has more than 40 million subscribers in the U.S., and this week at the Emmys, it got more than 50 nominations. Doing pretty well, right? Yet, Hulu might not even exist in two years. Disney has to decide whether it's going to fold Hulu into its own Disney Plus service or perhaps even sell it off to Comcast or someone else. It's a really interesting and influx time in the streaming wars. And I think the stock market correction over the past few months has made it even more confusing. So today, to get a little bit of clarity on what's what in the streaming wars, we wanted to have on Richard Greenfield, who's been on the show before. He's an analyst with Lightshed Partners, and he goes into all things streaming, TV, everything from what's up with Netflix to Apple. Apple's another one here. They're about to get Sunday ticket and completely upend the sports market. So today we're going to get into it with Rich from The Ringer and Puck. I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. All right, we are here with Rich Greenfield of Lightshed Partners. He is an analyst that covers the streaming video universe, among other things. We had him in here a couple months ago when the Netflix stock tanked. And he had some very insightful things to say. I challenged him a little bit on some of the bull market thesis for Netflix that all of a sudden was not the bull market that everyone thought it might be. And now here we are a couple months later. Netflix is still sort of in the toilet. Actually, it's worse than it was before. 
Bill Ackman has lost, what, $400 million trying to revive Netflix. And here we are with some news this week in the world of Netflix. First of all, how are you, Rich? I'm good. I mean, you could have just labeled it not so much Netflix. You could have labeled it the stock market has completely given up on streaming. I think even Hollywood is sort of scared about the future of streaming right now. I think that's right. And But Netflix was, I mean, they have a claim to fame here. They were tanking before the market in general was tanking. That, that's fine. The funny thing is, though, Netflix still represents almost 30% of time spent on connected televisions. And so, sure, they're they're losing on Wall Street right now because the growth isn't what investors had hoped. From a consumer standpoint, Netflix has actually strengthened its share of viewing over the past 12 months. I think that's what's sort of getting lost in the picture is that Netflix is actually capturing more minutes per day, even as streaming is growing and all this competition is growing. Netflix is actually capturing a larger share of it. They're just not growing as many subscribers as they were before. Right. And they still have those 221 million subscribers worldwide, which is an enormous number. Not to mention upwards of probably 100 million people password sharing and using. Right. And so, you know, you think about it, there's probably 300 million households that are touching Netflix every single day, at least three people per household. So Netflix is literally, content on Netflix is touching a billion people on a daily basis. There's nothing else even in the ballpark. And you think, I mean, th- before we get into it, you think the password sharing crackdown that is coming is a good thing? The reality is, there are some people that are sharing with, you know, a family member, a sister, a brother, or a kid who's at college. But there's other people who are getting one account in a dorm and sharing with seven others. I think sort of the the really flagrant sharing that Netflix clearly knows is going on is just low-hanging fruit that they've never really attacked. They haven't needed to because growth was so good, they haven't needed to. I think it's very logical. And I actually think My guess is if Netflix is even modestly successful in curbing this and and attacking it, I think you're going to see the other companies do it as well. This is not going to be isolated. I think you're going to see everyone because everyone's looking for how do you reinvigorate growth in streaming, right? You, You had a pandemic pull forward. You have a very challenging economic environment and you have people in the space overall. You have more competition than anyone ever assumed. Like there is so much competition for in streaming. A lot of players who probably shouldn't even be in the business, to be honest. Yeah, and we've seen that. I mean, someone asked me the other day, how is it possible that Netflix could lose subscribers this next quarter when they report next week when Stranger Things is breaking records? And I know it's not an exact correlation, but there has to be a certain number of people who have come back to the service specifically for Stranger Things and are staying with it. And if they still lose subs, as they are predicting, that's a big deal, right? Well, I would actually change the the question a little or change the, the comment a little bit. One, they had the biggest show they've ever had in Squid Game in Q4 2021, and they didn't beat expectations. That's almost more surprising, right? Like they just attained their guidance. They didn't know Squid Games was going to happen. Right. Squid Games was their biggest show in the history of Netflix, and they just got to their guidance. So I think that might have been the first warning sign that something was happening. And I think Reed would sort of, you know, say that's where they sort of started to figure out that something was off kilter in terms mm-hmm. of their growth trajectory. In terms of losing subscribers, I mean, 
second quarter historically, if you go way back in Netflix, they used to lose subs in Q2. So like this is not it, it's new for the streaming era, but like they used to lose subs because it was a challenging quarter. I think the bigger question is, remember, when you get to 220 million subscribers and you have just normal churn all around the world, you have to replace a lot. Of, you have to have a lot of gross ads, new subscribers to replace churn. That just is the, the normal ebb and flow of the business. I think the real question is not so much Stranger Things because Stranger Things is a massive franchise for Netflix. I think the bigger question is how do they replicate that? Because that's what they really need. They need more dependable franchise content that people are sticking around for. So it's not just coming in and then leaving after Stranger Things. How do you get people who are wedded to multiple series? And I think that whole franchise aspect of Netflix is probably one of the, the real things that's holding them back from getting to four or 500 million subscribers. That's what they need. They need more iconic content and not just even TV shows. I mean, movie franchises too. I don't think any of their movies have been franchises in the way you think about franchises in the, the, you know, the Harry Potter or the Marvel sense of it. And they've known that. They've known that from the beginning, that they were in a race to build up this library because they didn't have 100 years of content. If you look at what's powering Disney+, Plus, it's Marvel and it's Lucas. These are franchises that have existed a long time and Disney is exploiting them on streaming. Netflix doesn't have that. They failed to buy a studio when they probably could have had one for a small portion of their market cap. And that I think is one of the big mistakes that they made. You're, you're frowning. You're frowning on that. Well, I just, I'm frowning only because like, who would you have bought and what franchises do they really have that are so powerful? I mean, well, MGM went to Amazon. There's, you know, there's a whole library there. And a lot of that stuff is encumbered and you don't control the Bond franchise. So I right. know that there are limitations, but Paramount was out there. They could have done some deal where they spun off the TV networks. They could have gotten the Paramount franchises like Transformers and Mission Impossible, now Top Gun. I mean, they would have had to make concessions and they were unwilling to veer away from that. We release movies on Netflix, not in theaters, and we do it from the ground up. And I think that that was a mistake. Yeah, the, the pushback I would have is 220 million subscribers at $12 a month is a pretty incredible business. That's actually, you know, Netflix generates positive EBITDA. I know there was some debate um, with one of your colleagues of what the actual EBITDA was the other day, but there's six and a half billion dollars of EBITDA. The other streaming services, let's just be very clear. In the last quarter, Disney lost a billion dollars. In the last you know, on the on a 12 month basis, Peacock's going to lose two and a half billion. Paramount Global in the last two quarters has lost a billion dollars like streaming. Nobody's making money in streaming other than Netflix. And so, yes, the growth rate is slowed. Wall Street's concerned. There is definitely fear about sort of state of the economy, state of, you know, connected TVs aren't selling as fast as they used to after the pandemic. People want to I mean, I'm sure you've noticed, Matt, uh, wherever you are in the world right now. People want to be outside. Like People do not want to be cooped up inside. And so there is definitely pressure on indoor activities or at-home activities that is certainly hurting all of these streaming companies. But look, the, the fundamental shift towards streaming, it's not going anywhere. I mean, that trend is going to continue. So we had some news this past week. Netflix finally chose a partner for the advertising tier that is coming by the end of the year. It's sort of related to this password sharing crackdown because they would like to have a cheaper ad tier to move these people onto from the, you know, stealing from your ex-girlfriend or 
sharing with everyone in your dorm. And uh, and they chose Microsoft. And I think that was a little bit out of the blue. Most people thought it would be either Google or Comcast based on some reports that came out. Why do you think they went with Microsoft? And what are the pros and cons there? One, Microsoft bought this business called Xander, which was a complete and utter failure from AT&T. It was an ad tech business. They bought, uh, it was sort of created under AT&T. Uh, Xander was sort of an afterthought, you know, relative to companies like the Trade Desk or Google, like nobody really thinks about trade. De- sorry, no one really thinks about Xander. This seems like a really bold move by Microsoft to totally reinvent and make Xander a real player. Because, you know, if you're sitting there and if you're a brand, an advertiser, let, let's just be clear, if you're an advertiser anywhere on planet Earth and you want to reach consumers anywhere from the age of, let's just say, 10 to 60, the number one place where time is being spent is Netflix. Yes, YouTube, uh, TikTok, sure, for shorter form uh, or non-premium. But if you want to reach premium content eyeballs, this is the place you've been dying to reach for the last decade. I think that's underappreciated. People don't realize the the scale and the elevated nature of Netflix, at least for now, is going to be super attractive to these brands. Dude, they, they are salivating con. At the Con Lions advertising, like Netflix was the, you know, they were the bell of the ball. Like they, they were the, the, they were who everybody wanted a meeting with. Like this is what advertisers have been dying for is to get in front of those consumers. And so this is a huge win for Microsoft that totally changes their trajectory. And for Netflix, look, it's not a company that is in any way competitive to them, right? They don't have a legacy TV or streaming business. They're not competitive. Um, I will add just an interesting little wrinkle that I don't think has been focused on by many people. You know, Reed Hastings used to be on the board of Microsoft. He used to carry a Microsoft Microsoft devices and laptops. Like there's been a close relationship there. He's not on the board anymore, but there certainly has been a long relationship there that I think is interesting and noteworthy. And I think Microsoft has really looked at advertising as a as a category they want to scale up dramatically. And I don't think Wall Street has paid any attention to Microsoft in in advertising. Yeah, it's hilarious also because Netflix kind of thumbed its nose at advertising for so long and, you know, they were always anti-ads and everything. And then first sign of desperation is here it comes. And you know what? We think we might be able to reach more people if we had a cheaper cheaper tier. It's like, okay, we've been saying that for a decade. Uh, And all the streaming services are doing that. Disney will have ads by the end of the year. There's a big difference, though. There's a huge difference, though, in in, in those two companies. Remember, when you think about time spent, on connected TVs, which is where most people are watching Netflix or Disney Plus. It's important to realize that Netflix is seven to eight times the size of Disney Plus. Like Disney Plus is tiny, has very little viewership. And so you can put advertising on it, you can grow the sub base, but you have very little viewership. But Disney has, you know, half the subs that Netflix does, and they claim they're getting up to 230 in a year and a half. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, but it's not about subs. It's about, you know, again, this is what I think is not being talked about enough is it's not about subs. It's not even about our poor revenue. When you're thinking about advertising, what drives advertising? Time spent. Right. You need people to watch to serve ads. If you don't have watching, just having a sub, like there's subs that don't even, you know, AT&T has HBO Max, had HBO Max subs that weren't even activated, weren't even watching. There was no advertising possible, right? Because you didn't even have people that were actually had activated accounts. Like you, for advertising to grow, you actually need watch, but eyeballs watching the screen. That's the thing that Netflix has 
that creates the opportunity. Whether it's successful, we'll see. Do they create a different advertising experience? Is it, you know, hopefully we'd have less interruptive advertising and more between episodes. I mean, there's a just putting ads before and after is a huge opportunity when you have an ad community that is literally salivating at the mouth. I mean, look how many leaks there were about this that were all wrong, obviously. But look at the number of leaks in the last four weeks. It's incredible. Or even on the homepage. I mean, it's the equivalent of that, of putting an ad on the Google homepage. That's always been the holy grail for advertisers and they haven't had to do it. But this is, you know, what if there's an ad, the first thing you go to Netflix, that's hugely valuable. Um, It's interesting you say that Microsoft isn't competitive because in the Reed Hastings view of the world, it's all about time that you're not sleeping. Sure. And Microsoft is a competitor for that time via Xbox or now they're sure. buying electronic arts. If or the government Minecraft. Lets them. They have Minecraft. Right. Sure, so sure. I think that ultimately they are a competitor, but just not a direct competitor. Very different than, say, turning its business over to Comcast, which has Peacock, a rival streaming service. It could also create a more, a closer relationship. You know, you think about Netflix, they've gone into gaming. They've started with mobile. Clearly, they know they're going to have to go to consoles over time. Sort of a tighter relationship with Microsoft could have other opportunities beyond just advertising on video. There could be some interesting things to do on the gaming side as well. Right. So, you know, some people are looking at this as a huge sign of weakness, though, for Netflix. And I want to read you an email that I got from an executive that I I trust on a lot of things. Um, So how does Netflix survive? He writes. This new advertising tier is only going to cannibalize their existing subscribers. Password sharing crackdown and charging people $3 or whatever to add people to their accounts isn't going to make up for that loss. I'm starting to think now is the beginning of the end for Netflix and this partnership with Microsoft is really serving as an introduction to Microsoft eventually buying all of Netflix and incorporating its assets into its other offerings. Man, it sounds like Netflix is going bankrupt. (laughs) I mean... I mean, I just would remind this person, whoever this is, is that while other streaming companies are bleeding billions of dollars a year, Netflix is actually making money. They don't need more debt. They don't need more capital. Like they're literally self-financing. So this idea that this is the beginning of the end, I mean, we'll see. I mean, has the content in the last 18 months, even the last nine months outside of Stranger Things, especially the English language, been as high profile? Probably not. I mean, I think whether it's competition, you know, I think we talked about this a little the last time. When the competition grows, good is not good enough. It's got to be better. Yeah. Their stuff has to be better. I mean, people, everybody knows. They know that internally. I mean, they have another- that's what I'm saying. They have a $200 million movie next weekend. That's a total stinker again. It's another one. It's people are like, wow. So the question is, is it fixable from a- Again, Password sharing is not the salvation. Advertising is not the salvation. You and I know what drives Netflix to success long term. It's very simple. It's the content. Speaking of beginning of the end, you know, I want to talk a little bit about Hulu because Hulu has sort of been on a roll content wise. They've got great shows. They did fifty sure. something Emmy nominations. The Bear. This past Everyone's week. talking about the Bear right now. The Bear is great. I love it. I want to get my hair cut just like uh, just like the Bear. Uh, sort of dirtbag chic. <laughs> But the the actual business of Hulu is in a really interesting spot because they they have this situation where 
Disney has control of Hulu, but there's 30% that is still owned by Comcast and is and is scheduled to be bought out in 2024, if not sooner. But there's a floor on the value. There is not a ceiling on the value of Hulu. So the more Correct. investment Disney makes in Hulu, the greater the value and potentially the higher price they will have to pay. So there's actually an incentive for Disney not to make Hulu great during this time when Comcast is still a partner. Now, they don't seem to be adhering to that because they are investing a lot in Hulu and they've put some great shows there and they've got you know a ton of attention for that. And they have 40-something million subscribers to Hulu. But you said in a recent podcast that the Hulu business is superfluous to Disney's ambitions. What does that mean? And will Hulu exist in two years? If you go to Europe, anywhere really outside of the US, the Hulu content or, you know, the adult content, and I hate the word adult because, you know, the more mature, the, <laughs> the non-kid content, I don't know the right word for it. I hate using the word adult, but like that content sits on a platform that looks like Disney Plus. Like it's, you know, they call it star, but it's like sits within the Disney Plus interface. Right. So it's a tile. It's a tile. The content, all I mean, literally, Big Hero Six sits next to Pam and Tommy. Yeah, like so. This whole concept, and, and think about Netflix. Think about what sits side by side. There's kids content, and there's Squid Games, and there's Stranger mm. Things, and it sits right next to lots of kids programming. Like this idea, like that's what parental controls were designed for. This whole idea of running two separate platforms. To me, especially now that you're doing advertising on Disney Plus, is absurd. But it's a business decision because these 40-something million Hulu subscribers are paying a lot more for Hulu than the Disney Plus subscribers are, play are paying for Disney Plus. And do you leave a ton of money on the table if you smash those services together? Is there a value proposition for propping up Hulu as a separate service, even though from a product perspective, you probably don't need to? Look, let's say you keep a lot of the content. Maybe you don't sell it for that nine. Maybe you renegotiate the valuation. And instead of, you know, right now it's, it's you know, Comcast portions, the floor value is 9 billion. Disney's therefore would be worth 18 billion. Maybe you, maybe you sell your 18 billion for 12 billion or 13 billion. I mean, Disney could make 13 or let's just say that Disney can make 13 or 14 billion dollars selling Hulu, take all of the content, use it to fuel Disney Plus, have a lot of cash to go power Disney Plus with even more content versus trying to run two services. The Hulu brand doesn't mean anything like Disney it doesn't. I mean, it's not as valuable as, as Disney, obviously, but I think Hulu does mean something. It was around 10, 15 years ago. Yes, but does it? Relative to the power of the Disney brand, does it mean something? I'm not saying it's not a they good brand. They don't need it, is what you're saying. I'm just saying, like, it seems more important to Comcast because do you know many people who think Peacock is crushing it? No, zero. So I think Hulu as a brand would do a lot for, for Comcast, do a lot to transform that narrative. And I think Disney would solve the problem of we're running two different services it's just hard if you're going to fold it into if you're going to put it as a tile inside of Disney Plus, why do you have to go spend another nine, ten billion dollars to create a tile? Like, why not just make a tile all by yourself? Like, it just it, again, it just seems like odd if you're going to do it anyway. And look, you're putting Dancing with the Stars on Disney Plus. You're putting Blackish on Disney Plus. Like, you're adding this more mature content anyway. Like, it's just right. again, it seems like it's outlived its usefulness. It's a great look. The service is great. 
The team is creating great content. Searchlight, I mean, the team, you know, the, like that team, you know, Greenfield and Greenbaum over at Searchlight, they are crushing it in terms of content creation, in terms of putting Searchlight stuff onto Hulu. Like, you know, you think about the well, dropout. The, like, I mean, they have a bunch of different engines. They have 20th Television. Uh, they have, you know, the FX team does a great job. But you know, you're right. Murders they, in the building, like all of this. Yeah. Kind of, but you could put this content, you could take a lot of this content that Disney made and repurpose it to Disney Plus. Like, could you imagine murderers in the building being on Disney Plus? Of course. Like, it, yeah, it's sure. Steve Martin, like Martin, like some of the hey, FX stuff is pretty rough. So, so maybe you get rid of that. So maybe that doesn't stay. Maybe. But I don't know. Like, Squid Game sits next to very, very family friendly programming on Netflix. And I don't yeah. see a whole lot of parents in an uproar of you can't do that. And I don't, you know, you go to Europe and you don't see parents complaining that mature sits next to kids like i just i think it is overly protective of the disney brand only in the u.s and i think the only reason they're doing it to be honest matt is they got stuck there by the legacy structure of the company right like i don't think i don't think if you had to make a decision today there's no way you'd want to run two different brands let alone three with espn plus like it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. And and there is evidence I've seen that even that extra step of having to go outside an app to watch a new show, the viewership takes a hit. Well, let's just let's talk about that because that is critical. Once you leave, like the minute you're done, and this goes back to my Disney comment, you go in once a week. Once you leave an app, you're fair game for every other app, right? Whether it's Netflix or Apple, like you become fair game. And so the last thing you want someone doing is leaving your universe. Like, like that's the whole reason HBO became HBO Max, right? Like they were tired of people watching Sunday night for an hour and then leaving. They had to do more to keep you entertained. So you would have Hulu go to Comcast. Any other potential buyers or just Comcast? I mean, Comcast is sort of in the driver's seat because they already own a third. So And merge it with Peacock. Peacock dies a very solemn and respectful death. And Hulu is the Comcast streamer. Remember, Comcast is only domestic anyway. I mean, yes, they have the UK, but like, you know, some Europe with Sky, but like Peacock only exists in the US. And so it's a pretty simple thing to sort of transform that and do that with it. And instead of losing two and a half billion dollars automatically, you have a service that is, you know, essentially at around break even and has 40 plus million subscribers. Right. And, and a live business. They have a live TV business, too. Sure, which obviously fits very well with the fact that Comcast is a large player in television. So all of a sudden, that the profitability of that live TV business looks a lot better with Comcast contracts. And if you are a Real Housewives or a WWE fan, you all of a sudden have a new place to watch them. All right, I want to move on to one last streamer, Apple, the streaming service that doesn't need to make any money. It's the it's it's the one to watch. I mean, if there is okay, one service, I mean, you've been you've been long on the Apple content. I think you give it a little bit too much credit. You talk about how great it is. They are still not anywhere near HBO. They have great shows, and I respect a lot of the people there. But if you look at what they've put out, they've put out a lot of good stuff. They've put out a lot of stinkers as well. Um, it's I would just say their Apple, hit ratio. I'd say their hit ratio is better than everyone else's. Yeah, what, then what's a hit? They release zero numbers. They're very difficult. So a lot of the tracking services do not have accurate information. What is a hit? I always think of a hit as what enters the zeitgeist. Okay. But that's a really subjective thing. Is Severance a it hit? It is. Severance, got Severance a, is a hit. Severance got a ton of Emmy nominations. Do you know real people that watch it? I watched it because so many people told me to watch it. Okay. Me too. But we live in the 
by Coastal Bubbles. Know, a lot of people, a lot of people told me you have to watch this. Yeah. I'm okay. on episode seven. Don't ruin it. But I'm pretty impressed. <laughs> but it's really not about where Apple is today, to be honest. I mean, Ted Lasso is a hit. Don't get me wrong. They won Best Picture of the Oscars. That is a huge coup. But let's forget about where Apple is today. Where everyone needs to be focused is August 8th. Because on August 8th, they released Luck, which is from Skydance. And this is John Lasseter. Like, this is not like some startup animation studio. This is Pixar's John Lasseter beginning, you know, a multi-picture deal each year. Huge ambitions. I mean, Brad Bird is releasing a film for Skydance with Apple. Like, the they have, there's over a thousand people at Skydance Animation. They are building the next Pixar. The next Illumination is being built at Skydance. It's partnered directly with Apple. All of this content is coming to Apple TV+. This is a very big deal. It Again, is a big deal. The, and the other, the content, the other, look, if the content works, this has the potential to be the next Pixar. Like that's John's goal, right? Is to be, to recreate Pixar under the Skydance and Apple umbrella. Nobody in town is talking enough about it. Nobody. I'm talking about it. I'm talking about it with you. No, it's a huge deal. And I actually heard the first movie's fine. The second movie, the one in the fall, is the one to watch because that is the one that fall twenty three. To be clear, yes, that is the one that Lasseter did himself from the ground up. This first one, Luck, was sort of a salvage job, but I agree with you. That is a huge deal, and Apple can just buy what they want. They're well, I probably they buy Sunday ticket. Remember, well, that's, let's Sunday talk about ticket. Sunday ticket. So my my colleague Dylan Byers uh, reported this week that it is Apple's to lose. Um, you've reported that. I reported that. It's basically all but a done deal that Apple is getting Sunday ticket. Do you think, A, this will be the tipping point for this service to be officially mainstreamed? Because it is not currently, I don't think, mainstreamed. It is not. Especially outside the U.S., I don't think it is mainstream. So, no, I don't think this, I think it helps it go mainstream in the U.S. I don't think globally this helps in the same way. But I do think it shows you the size of the commitment Apple is making. Like if you put down $2 billion a year on Sunday ticket, that is a huge signal that you are playing to win. And I think it is going to be a real wake-up call for the entire sports industry, the entire legacy media industry. This is, If it happens, it's a very big deal because it just shows the commitment Apple is making. And it's probably a long-term deal, right? This is probably a seven to 10-year deal. So you're making a very long-term commitment. The way Amazon's billion dollars a year for 11 years for Thursday Night Football, like it just signals the ambitions. Well, and Amazon has to produce those broadcasts itself. Sunday Ticket is a pickup of other people's feeds, so you don't really have to do that much except show it. And, and build people, which I think right. Apple would love to build. You know, They're building their services business. My colleague, Walt Pysik, is all over Apple and focus on their services You know, build out. And this would be a huge way to build out services to millions of people. And not needing a satellite dish to have Sunday ticket it would be revolutionary for the product. How big a hit do you think the satellite cable bundle takes if Sunday ticket leaves DirecTV? I mean, it is leaving. DirecTV is not bidding, so it's right. definitely So it leaving. is leaving. So how much of a hit... Are we going to see? I know so many people that have the bundle for Sunday ticket. Hey, look, you're probably losing two to three million people instantly. At a time when numbers are declining each year. Cord cutting is already at 6% with the pandemic and the you know, post-pandemic sort of the unlock and people caring less about linear TV, the shift of programming off of linear TV. And then on top of it, sort of the recession and inflation we're dealing with, you're probably looking at eight to 9% decline in people with 
multi-channel cable satellite television even before you get to Sunday tickets. So yeah, 2023 is going to be really ugly for anyone in the television business. All right. So from your perspective, streaming services draft right now, you only from a business perspective, not from a content perspective or financial meaning financial financials. What, what is your pecking order? Top five streaming services. I mean, it's, first of all, it's a, I don't mean it's, I don't, I don't want to say it's an absurd question, but it's, it's an absurd question because two of the companies don't care or don't look at it like that. So we will, we will take Apple and Amazon out of the equation of the companies that actually care about making money on their streaming services, rank them in terms of their business prospects right now. I mean, Netflix is still the only one making money that has a plan to clearly, I mean, I'd say Netflix and Disney, probably the only two companies that are making money or have a plan to make money. You know, obviously, I think you have to put HBO Max in that category too. So they're Everybody three, else, are they two or three? I think you put it in, I, I, I would think you would put Netflix, you know what, I would probably put HBO Max just because the, you know, the problem is it's not so much a streaming service. So much of it is still buried in traditional multi-channel television. And so mm-hmm. it's sort of cheating. The economics of HBO Max are much better than Disney Plus and Hulu, but it's because of the legacy TV business. If you're looking only at the streaming portion, you probably would put Disney two, HBO Max third, and then everybody else is down below. I mean, there's mm-hmm. no one even close. Shout out to Paramount Plus. Still there. Look, I love what they're look, I like the con- I like some of the content. It's just it is very hard to compete given the scale that you need. But I would put Paramount Plus above Peacock. That's for sure. (laughs) Sure. Peacock. Poor Peacock. We'll have a ceremonial burial when that eventually goes away. Um, All right. Rich Greenfield, always appreciate your insights. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Fun. All right. We are back with the call sheet, my daily prediction. So the box office this summer has been encouraging for both the theater owners and the studios. Big movies are getting big numbers. We had records on both Memorial Day with Top Gun and Fourth of July with Minions. Those are the heavy hitters. The more interesting aspect of this summer is what happens now. Because for the rest of the summer, there are no more big pre-branded sequels, Marvel movies, Tom Cruise, none of the big, big heavy hitters are left for the rest of the summer, which is a bit unusual. In normal times, there would be a late July blockbuster-style movie. There would probably be an early August-type movie. That's when Guardians of the Galaxy appeared. That's when you know some of these kind of lesser franchises tend to go. But this year, other than a Brad Pitt movie that is not a, you know, obvious tentpole bullet train is R-rated. It's kind of a genre movie. There isn't much that the studios know will be hit. So my prediction is it's going to get really brutal out there really quickly. And we're going to see by the end of the summer that yes, the movie business is quote unquote back for the right kind of movies. But starting this weekend with where the crawdads sing, which is an adaptation of a popular book that has no stars is produced by Reese Witherspoon. But uh, you know, you may see her in the commercials, but she is not in the movie. And you're going to see one by one the rest of this summer some disappointing releases. And do you think then the the, the discourse around <laughs> the movie theater business is going to be grim again, and everyone's going to say theaters are dead, and that we're all just victims of the moment? Uh, maybe. I mean, that's a little bit hyperbolic, I think, because as we've seen, like for the right movie, 
people will come back. And maybe some of these other movies have longer lives in theaters than they would normally. You know, I could see things like Minions and Thor playing well into August. Top Gun, perhaps, could could still be uh, you know at the top of the box office like two months in, three months in. But I think it's going to, you know, we don't have a huge movie until October. I mean, the the Black Adam movie with The Rock, a DC movie, that's pretty much the next like gigantic movie. So for the next two and a half months, it's going to be, I think, a tough time. And we'll see how this all plays out. Now, what would be amazing is if there is some out of nowhere hit that comes along as a great movie and creates a new franchise because that's ultimately what the movie business needs. But we'll see if that can happen. That has not happened so far in um in the summer movies that we've seen it's in all stuff that's been pre-branded so we'll see how it goes all right that is the show for today i want to thank rich greenfield for coming on i want to thank producer craig holbeck and i want to thank you see you next week this episode is brought to you by state farm you might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.